Hi, I'm Logan Medish, your host of the High Caliber History Podcast. Thanks for joining us for another episode today. My guest on the show is someone who has had some remarkable experiences with some amazing historic firearms. We're going to talk about a wide variety of stuff, including Teddy Roosevelt and a MIG jet. Whether or not those two are related, you'll have to listen to find out. And what it's like to belly up to a bar with a Sherman tank. All that and more coming up on this episode. Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, everyone. I'm Logan Medish, host of the High Caliber History Podcast. And my guest today is my friend Joel Colander. He is the Interactive Production Manager at Rock Island Auction Company. He's been there since 2013. He uh, writes blogs, makes videos, and generally ogles the amazing guns that, comes through, that come through their doors. Uh, when not surrounded by firearms, he's found harassing his family, planning new projects, and singing unnecessarily. Joel, welcome to the podcast. Well, good to be on the podcast. Good to see you. Good. Good to see you as well. So, interactive production manager. You, you know, we said, you know, blogs and yeah. videos and stuff. What, what does that mean? What do you do there? Well, that's, you know, they ask me that sometimes. <laughs> um, no, but it's a title actually I've, I've had since. It's a title I've had since day one, which should make sense because I wasn't managing anybody. It was just me. And it was basically uh, marketing to the people, uh, the masses online. So whether it was, you know, it was largely blogs and emails and okay. you know, bolstering some social media accounts. Um, that was in 2013. I did that for myself by myself for about six years. And this year um, we hired a team. I have like, awesome. we have like three other people besides myself now helping to manage like a lot more videos and a lot bigger social media presence and uh, sending the emails and different collaborations like with yourself. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, it's but now I actually can say like the manager part has been earned. There you go. Um, yeah. But it's been a lot of fun playing with old gun, playing with old guns and, uh, and getting to tell people about some of these stories. It's, it's kind of a dream come true. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of dream come true, how did you get here? What's, what's your background? Did you kind of stumble into this or? It's a funny story. Uh, first of all, my wife found a job listing for this online. Um, at the time, um, I'd worked in banks actually for about six years, I had very little interest in going back. And this is of course during, or just after a recession, the country's kind of coming out of it. Um, I was substitute teaching working part-time jobs and oddly uh, to fill the spare time writing a beer blog. Um, <laughs> and I never, and so just uh, I was trying a bunch and wanted to remember these things. So it was more for myself than anybody, but it helped um, hone some of the writing skills that I was posting to social media. I was writing every day, um, self editing, you know, editing photos, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. And so it was good practice. And I'd, been at it for almost a couple years, almost, almost a couple years. And my wife happened to find a job that, you know, listed locally at Rock Island Auction Company for somebody to run their social media. And that was kind of it. The interview was like, well, you know, what makes you think you could do this job? And I said, well, I'm already doing it now for free. So imagine right. what I could do if you paid me for it. So <laughs> um, I never, I never thought I would cite a beer blog in a job interview, but Apparently, stranger things have happened. There you go. So you went from banking to beer to bullets. That's uh, seems like a natural progression, right? <laughs> banking, beer, bullets. I like it. Hey. I like it. If I just get all three of those, there you go. There again, it'd be, it'd be a good afternoon. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. 
So Rock Island Auction Company, for those who don't know, tell us what is Rock Island Auction Company? Uh, Rock Island Auction Company is the number one firearms auction house in the world. They're the largest in the world for offering uh, collector firearms. They've been that since uh, 2003, uh, regularly you know, setting these industry records like over and over again, not only for what a firearm auction house can do in a year, but individual world record prices for firearms as well. Um, it's not just the big boys though, obviously the, those are the ones that get all the headlines and get all the attention, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the, most of the guns they sell are for entry-level collectors. And there's a lot of regular guns as well. Um, Glocks, 870s, uh, SKS, AKs, uh, there's, there's plenty of that to be found as well. And obviously those, we, we sell a, a pretty good number of those. Sure. So you're talking about the uh, regular, you know, regular guns and things that are going through. Uh, normally, you know, people tend to, to buy Remington 870s or SKSs at like their local gun show. Um, but 2020 has been a, a very awkward year and there have been uh, very, very few gun shows. So how has the COVID-19 situation impacted the sales at Rock Island? Have you seen an increase in activity on, on the lower end guns or how, how's that been? So it's been a funny year um, for two reasons, and they're kind of uh, go to different ends. They speak to different ends of the spectrum. So one, we're not able to go to as many shows or as many visits, uh, you know, visiting consigners and as many places sure. to go and bring these guns into the company. So there have been volume wise, um, there have been fewer guns sold by us in 2020. And that's, you know, the sheer, just mostly the sheer number of guns. It's actually cut back on auction days. Uh, what used to be in our sporting and collector auctions was a four day auction Our were three day auctions this year. Okay. Um, so it cut back that way. That said, it has been um, the biggest year we've ever had. It's that's been awesome. as a total, it's been the, the largest annual year. So it's one of those industry records I was talking about earlier. It's been the largest year in for firearms auction company ever. Um, annually to date, we have 91.7 million in sales is what they're promoting is, is the number. Um, and we still have one auction to go. There's still one on uh, December 29th. So we're not, uh, we're not done yet. Oh my so it's goodness. been weird. There've been fewer guns, but the demand and people in their homes have obviously not stopped buying guns or ammo. Uh, I think as we can all attest yeah uh, in 2020 wow that's amazing and I, I i think we're seeing that kind of across the board and i've i've got some friends uh that run uh an auction house out on the west coast and they they deal in a lot of different stuff but they deal in firearms as well and and their gun sales have have been through the roof as well and i, I really think it's because yeah people are stuck at home and you know they're they're not going to the stores and they're not going to the shows and so if they're buying a gun they're buying it uh, at an auction, whether they're looking for a, a collectible or a shooter. Uh, and, and I think that, that, you know, speaks to another point is that, you know, people aren't just buying the shooters. People are buying the collectible yeah. grade guns at all levels. Like you said, you know, you guys offer introductory stuff, but uh, you guys also just recently sold one of Teddy Roosevelt's pieces. And I know you've sold amazing yeah. stuff, you know, Elvis Presley and uh, JFK. And so, um, there's, it sounds like there's not been uh, any kind of an impact in the slowing down of the high-end collectibles either, correct? 
Yeah, which is, I mean, not typically what you expect to hear. I mean, what you what we hear in the news are like the the record number of NCIS background checks, the ammo shortages that have been from you know the first shutdown, and then there was because of civil unrest, and then it's because there's an election year. So we hear about all these you know, and new gun owners, the huge new amounts of gun owners that were uh, both female and African American this year. That's awesome news for the gun industry. Yeah, and you know you you assume a lot of them are buying you know their Smith and Wesson MP shields and their Glocks and whatnot, but Boy, the collector firearms market, uh, apparently rising water, uh, floats all boats because it is, it's not been slowing down around here. That's awesome. So what, what have been the, the biggest selling pieces for you guys this year? And, and uh, if you can remember back of, of all time, what's, what's been the best success sure. stories? So the biggest item we've, uh, the, the highest selling item uh, that we had this year was actually just um, in September. And it was... Uh, it was a Colt Dragoon second model, um, the Millican Dragoon, one that had been presented by uh, Colonel Colt to uh, Millican, this uh, an officer in the, during the Civil War, silver-plated. And of course, uh, Dragoons are pretty massive revolvers. Yeah, um, so it gave a mat, just this giant canvas uh, for engraving, and they didn't miss an inch. And of course, it's just in... I call it a miracle gun. I call them miracle guns when you see them in that condition. Right. When you get guns that are coming up on, you know, 160 years old. Um, how? Like you, these are eras before white gloves and air conditioning and humidity control, and they still look the way they do. And it's just, it's a little boggling. Yeah. Uh, but the part everybody cares about, that went for $1.67 million. Wow. That was... That was a doozy. Uh, and then, of course, this last December auction was uh, Teddy Roosevelt's Colt Single Action Army, um, silver-plated, uh, Kino Helfrich factory engraved by Colt. Uh, it was ordered for his 54th. Yeah, Helfrich, he doesn't get the... He doesn't get his due. The clout. No, he really doesn't. It's kind of a shame. There's a couple engravers like that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he's not he's not Gustav Jung or the Nimschkis or the Ulrichs, and he's just out there, but oh my gosh, uh, his work's phenomenal. So anyway, Kuno Helfrich, factory engraved, silver plated, ordered for Teddy Roosevelt's 54th birthday, um, which means it was ordered like in a really interesting two week window in Roosevelt's life. Uh, it was right before the 1912 uh, presidential election, okay. uh, right before his birthday. And then within 10 days of his um, assassination attempt in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where he was famously shot and then gave an hour and a half long speech anyway. Um, this revolver is like right in that time frame for all that stuff. So very, wow. very cool, uh, for lack of better words, revolver. And that yeah. just went for $1.4 million. That's amazing. Just amazing. Yeah. And, you know, and it's funny when I, when I, I noticed when, when I asked you this question, you started to say the largest and then you stopped yourself and said, well, the most expensive... And that may have been intentional, may not have been, but what I'm going to mm -hmm. touch on is certainly the guns may be the most expensive, but they're not the largest objects you guys have sold. Uh, if, if memory serves correct, you guys have sold some tanks and even, even a MIG jet, right? Yeah, there was a tank and a, um, actually a couple tanks. We had, we came through, just had a phenomenal collection of military vehicles. So there were, you know, ducks and mules and, and then the big ones, you get the patent tank, um, M47, I can't remember. There was a there was an additional model of tank as well, and then there was um, even a um, 
keep wanting to say Swiss, but that's not probably it. Anyway, there was a collection of a couple, a couple years back um, that, yeah, definitely raised a few eyebrows. No, I, hate, I hasten to say between largest and most expensive because for us, um, we'll often talk about auctions in those ways. So our sporting and collector auctions, when those have like, when there's over 10,000 guns right. in four days, we like to, you know, those are the largest uh, just based on the sheer volume, but that, they're definitely not the most expensive. So sure. um, I guess chalk it up to my being the chief of grammar police here where we got to, you know, <laughs> specify everything can't be the largest, you know, you, sh you should be a little specific. So right. um, the most expensive item actually wasn't that we've ever sold wasn't even a, a firearm. Oh, it really? was a, a yeah, and the story, so not the story of the of the item itself, but where it ended up, I think is super fascinating. Um, and maybe if you have museum friends out there, they'll know or they'll have seen it. So it was actually a chainmail shirt, yes. for lack of a better term. It was a chainmail. It looks like, you know, for everybody listening, it's like essentially a t-shirt of chainmail, um, really long, of course. And it had these plates of armor, kind of where your ribs would go and these ribs uh, these plates of armor had gold designs inlaid into them. Well, it turned out it was a chainmail shirt for like a 15th century Egyptian sultan uh, named Cape Bay. Wow. And it, it left our auction house. We sold it at uh, $2.3 million. Most expensive item we've ever sold. It was phenomenal. Um, I saw it probably within the year on the Instagram page for the Metropolitan Museum of Art, their arms and armor division. Yeah. Now, I don't know. I don't know if they bought it. I don't know if somebody else bought it and loaned it to them. I don't know if somebody bought it and donated it to them. I, you know, I'm not, not really privy to that information. Sure. But it was at the Met. Like it went straight from Rock Island Auction Company within a year. It's in the Met. Um, and then I think within another nine months, maybe another year, um, I see it. it has now been transferred to on loan from the Met to the Louvre Abu Dhabi wow! and their museum portion in there. And you're just like, Whoa, this thing was in rock Island, Illinois, like by the Mississippi river. And you could have walked up and seen this thing and touched this thing and seen this piece of history that is obviously incredibly valued around the world. And right. it's just world, uh, world a neat history. thing. Yeah. 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 The, the, the Met's collection of arms and armor, you know, started by Bashford <sighs> Dean, uh, was was and is one of the most impressive arms and armor collections in the world. I mean, and even even if you're not an arms and armor guy and you're just a you know a, an art aficionado, for someone to say the Metropolitan Museum of Art and the Louvre, you know, that's those those are big names that everybody knows, no matter what industry yeah. you're in. Uh, and that's that's really cool. Like you said, that uh, that that a, a nondescript building in Rock Island, Illinois, would be holding one of the most amazing and expensive pieces uh, of armor ever sold. I mean, that's that's just yeah. so very very cool. And it hasn't been, I guess, the only time to you know to toot the horn a little. Like if you're talking about the arms and armor in in the Met, you know, that's a lot of guns by. Bob Lee, uh, you got a lot of guns from Gerald Class, like a lot of their Tiffany Smith and Wessons are either on loan or have been sold to the Met. Yep. And boy, those are names that we also see at Rock Island Auction Company. Like these last auctions have been, this this year basically essentially has been uh, largely highlighting Gerald Class. We've been selling Bob Lee's collection for years and these are guys who have their own wings. Yeah. Uh, well, Bob Lee does in the Met Arms and Armor. So it's, boy, if, uh, if you can come here, it's a museum you can touch. We, we call it that for a reason. It's Right. Uh, quite a treat to see some of these pieces float through.
Absolutely. Yeah. And I know you guys have sold uh, some of Bob Peterson's stuff as well. And of course, Peterson, you know, best known for Hot Rod and Motor Trend magazine and stuff. And yeah. he's got his own gallery at the National Firearms Museum. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, truly a, a museum you can touch uh, is, is really, yeah, the, the best way to put it. Um, and I, I think the, the MIG jet you guys sold, I'm pretty sure ended up uh, at a museum in Wyoming as, as well. Or, uh, I believe uh, it was purchased by the National Museum of Military Vehicles, uh, which just opened ah. up in Dubois, uh, Wyoming. Or actually, since it's Wyoming, they might actually pronounce it Dubois. I don't. I don't know. But um, but but he's he's got an interesting collection of of things, and uh, I they just opened up earlier this year, and I know that they mentioned one of the things he had was you know was he had purchased at auction a MIG jet, and I'm I'm not sure how many MIG jets come up for sale at, at auction. Right. So uh, I don't know for sure, but if I had to put money on it, I would say that 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 MIG jet probably came from you guys, um, which is really cool. And it just so happens that the last time you and I saw each other in person, I happened to be out at, at the facility in Illinois and we went through the warehouse and there were a couple of the tanks that had been sold and back in the yeah. corner, you're like, Oh, and, and there's a, there's a MIG jet over there. It's uh, it's not, not quite for sale yet. We can't talk about it a whole lot, but, <laughs> but sure enough, you know, walking through a building and there's, there's tanks and, and there's a MIG jet. I mean, that's where, where else put it Rock Island auction company. I mean, that's, that's so very cool. Uh, on a personal level, what have been some of your favorite firearms that you've handled and have come through there? That is a good one. Um, actually, one of my favorites is still, it, it was probably within like four months of when I started. Um, it's a beautiful old uh, Smith & Wesson DA uh, 44 Frontier. Um, so it already has like lines that I love, like some of these gothic -y points and things that come around to it. This one, well, I'll try to give the short story because it's a doozy. <laughs> um, I guess because my favorite items all involve stories and you can kind of see this on our YouTube channel. Some of the videos we do, um, the one, the guns I try to speak of, man, they have a story. They, sure. they speak to me. Well, Kevin, Kevin's videos, he'll know the collector, who it came from, who's owned it, who is, you know, and all the steps it's come through and why this thing is rare and why collectors should like it. He, he can speak to that collector market like nobody's business. And I, I sell stories. Um, so this was uh, a Smith & Wesson. It had a phenomenal story. Smith & Wesson DA-44 Frontier, Gustav Young engraved and gold inlaid. And it was on display at the Columbian Exposition. So the Chicago 1893 World's Fair. Yeah. That'd be probably awesome enough in itself itself because Gustav Young's style. So he was engraving, he had done for Colt like the previous two decades. And then now he was engraving for Smith and Wesson at this point in his life. It's, it's the engraving so distinct. Like if you ever see yes. Smith and Wesson come through with this style engraving, you can just, you can pick it out a mile away and you're like, Oh, that's really beautiful. It's not just your standard scroll and vine and, and whatnot. Right. So it stands out and it's golden light and it's Gustav Young. It ended up going to a guy named Tex Rickard who, he was just a rich guy. He built like the third iteration of Madison Square Garden. He started the New York Rangers hockey team. He oh, was an wow. oil and gold prospector up in, you know, out West and in, and in Alaska, um, which is how it came to a guy named Claude Inman, who started a town. Uh, at the time he got there, it was a tent town called Grandpa, Nevada. And uh, he brought wood and built the first town's first structure. And he drove the first nail with a shot from his revolver. And he called that peace insurance and, um, 
he did a lot of things for the town, became a sheriff was, is what he was known for. Um, and he did it without kind of the, the violence that we associate with a lot of the frontier lawmen. He did it with a soft word and without guns, mainly because he was super outnumbered and he would probably <laughs> die if that was the case. Uh-huh. Um, we did it with a soft word and he stopped a lot of the, oh, what do they call it? Well, long story short, theft. Uh, guys who were taking this gold ore home in their lunch pails with like metal handles and then metal handles were bent like strings because there was <laughs> so much gold ore in their mailbox. So basically a lot of these gold mine owners, Tex Rickard included, said, if you clean up this town, if you stop all this, this theft, we will pay you. And this is early 1900s, like 1905, 1907. If you clean up this town, we will pay you either $10,000 a month or 40% of whatever gold you recover. Wow. $10,000 a month is, that'd be a nice change now. Yeah. Uh, no let alone the first decade of, of the 20th century. So uh, he never took the $10,000. He always took the 40% of the gold. Because really? it was always more. It was always more. Wow. That's amazing. So he made a ton of cash. And uh, long story short, he became friends with this Tex Rickard guy. Tex Rickard, in, in appreciation, gave him this revolver, that Smith & Wesson Gustav Young Golden Grave from the World's Fair, except the townsfolk had put on it um, Tiffany snakeskin grips. Oh. And so he had this just, like I had goosebumps talking about it. It's such a cool <laughs> gun. Um, he had this gun the rest of his life, and he had it with a holster and um, – and a badge that came with it. And we, the stories that this guy has, like you can read in newspapers about his life, attempts on his life because he was stopping a lot of people from stealing a lot of gold. So he had attempts on his life and he changed people's lives and the things he did were just, you could, you could fill a book, you could fill a mini series about what this guy did. And so anyway, that's the very, I tried to make it a shorter version no, of, I, uh, I of the favorite it. gun that I ever held. And that was back in 2013. And so there's, We've had a few come through since then. Yeah, just just a few, you know, maybe two or just three. Just a few. Yeah. I mean, it's always nice. I haven't seen an FG42 in a few years. Those are always a treat. Yeah, absolutely. Those, those are a treat. You think, you know, you get a, a pretty slick or a custom gun now and it feels great. You're like, oh, man, this feels really good. Then you hold something that was made 80 years ago, 70 years ago, and you're like, wow, how how they do that? Why did, we get, why did we get away from that? Right. Where's that level of quality? I would like that level of quality, please. Yeah, no joke. Well, so for someone who's never bought a gun at an auction, let alone like at an online auction, especially given the, the COVID climate that we're in, what, what's that like? Is it, how's, how's that process work for someone? I imagine it's nowhere near as difficult as people probably make it out to be. Yeah, it's um, it's about as simple as we try to make it as simple as, as signing online, um, and buying anything else online. Um, most people, if you are bidding on our website and uh, not doing any sort of live version of uh, of the auction, you place what's called a sealed bid on our website. Um, you tell us what you want to bid up to on a certain item, and if you want to bid. You know, a thousand bucks. Okay, we will execute bids for you up to that number, no higher. Um, and if you win it for eight hundred bucks, you win it for eight hundred bucks. You don't have to. You don't have to spend your maximum. Um, it might go to your maximum. In fact, a lot of times it will because other people know what these guns are worth. So there's a lot of ties and close bids around there. Or, oh, I only got outbid by one, and well, yeah, because people know what these guns are worth. It's the. It's not. There's no secrets really, but. Um, that would be the sealed bid. You can do that right on our website. You can do it on places, third-party websites like Proxy Bid as well. 
they usually charge a, an extra percent, like a 3% uh, to bid uh, through them. That's how they make their money, of course. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but some people still like to do it. Uh, that's sealed bids on ours. The live bidding is kind of where things get fun and your, and your heart gets going a little bit. Yeah. Um, you can, in the same way you would place a sealed bid on our website, like I want to place a sealed bid and it's this amount. You can say, I want to bid by phone. And if you have a web account on us, um, we'll just call you. We'll call you maybe five lots before your item comes up and says, you know, hi, so-and-so with Rock Island Auction Company. Let's, you know, are you ready to bid? Do you have numbers in mind? Mm -hmm. This, that. And then you essentially give your bidding instructions to that person over the phone. They will bid for you on your behalf as if you were really there in the room. Okay. Um, if you want a gun, that's probably the best way to do it. It's the quickest turn. And you can't come in person, of course. In person is always nice. Sure. Uh, but in phone, if you really want one, here's auction tip number one. Um, bid live via phone. It okay. gives you uh, the quickest time. Like you're not waiting on any potential like technical glitches or lag or anything like that. It's right over a phone and you, you have a little more flexibility than you do with a sealed bid. You know, sure. if, like I said, if you bid a thousand and someone else bids 1100, you're kind of stuck. Right. But if you really think you want it, a live bidding will always give you the chance if you want it to, to top yourself. And then we have the live streaming as well for React Live where we have just like this, uh, cameras pointed to the auctioneers, yep. live bidding, and then you have someone like me sitting on the end of your computer and it flashes a light at me and I see that you've bid and I bid on your behalf to the auctioneers. So kind of like phone bidding, but uh, a little less personal. Gotcha. A little more on the computer than over the phone. Right. Yeah, and I, I love watching it on, on the React Live because, of course, you know, I'm, I'm on the East Coast. You guys are in the Midwest. It just logistically isn't possible for, for me or many others uh, to always get there to be at the auction in person. Yeah. But, you know, to be able to watch it streaming, you know, God bless the Internet, um, you know, we can, we can be, you know, as close to in the room as possible. Um, but that's, that's a great point that you brought up that, that the phone bidding is probably your, your best bet to go with that. Um, which, which is interesting because I wouldn't have, have thought that I, in my mind, I'm like, oh yeah, well, I'm sitting there watching it online. I'm bidding right along, but I wasn't taking into consideration, you know, possible lag or connectivity issues. So that's, that's good to know that, that there are a wide variety of ways, um, but that, uh, that your best bet is, is phone bidding because I would not have thought that. So I learned something new today. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. It's, uh, it's like I said, it's quick phones are instantly responsive. And you're you got the flexibility of wanting to bid more if you if you really want that gun. Right. Allow that. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I think actually the the online live bidding has been really really important, especially obviously with COVID this year. Yeah. Um, businesses that haven't now, thankfully, we had this in place beforehand, so I can't say that, you know we like saw the future adapted. Like this was something we've been developing for for several years, but to have it in place when a lot of businesses are forced to either have a digital presence or kind of suffer the economic consequences is right. really helped. A lot of times there'll be, you know, three, 400 people bidding on this, on this live streaming software. That's like having another auction hall full of people, except they're, right. you know, able to bid live on their computer. So it's, it's, it's been quite a, a help for us this year, especially this year. Yeah, absolutely. So what you said, you know, an additional three to 400 people. So what's, What's an average in-person auction attendance like for you guys in a non-COVID situation? Sure. Uh, I think the auction hall sits 350 to 400 people, if you have standing room, of course. Sure. Um, so that's about, and of course, as the auction goes by, you either have people who spend their budget or didn't get the things they want. So it, it can taper down um, or even every day, you know, people 
find what they want and then they don't need to stay all day. So, but at sure. max capacity, that's what it is. Um, COVID, now we've had to, of course, space out the seating in our auction hall. We do still have live auctions. Thankfully, for all their many blunders, the state of Illinois had did determine that firearms related businesses were quote essential businesses in Illinois. So mm -hmm. we've been open for business obviously all year and thank goodness for that. Um, yeah. That said, we've had some accommodations, one of which is to space the seating out in the auction hall. So it doesn't sit anywhere near the 350 to 400 now. Sure. Um, but the building you and I walked through across the street that was housing, you know, the tanks and the MIG yeah. jet. Yeah. That first portion of it has been kind of sectioned off um, a good space so that we can have uh, a place for people to eat. It's a little more spread out. So when you do come to auction, of course, we'll, we'll feed you for a free will donation. Um, but there's also a remote bidding lounge. So now it's oh, another essentially live stream across uh, across the street, but they're bidding in real time with a, you know, a Rock Island auction employee who's over there. Okay. Um, so it's a little, a little more space for everybody. And of course, there's a massive bar uh, built around an M4 Sherman tank. So that's a... Hey, that's that's the dream, wrong? right? Yeah. How could you go wrong? And uh, you know, <laughs> come Sunday morning, it's not... So it's the dream is really to be able to prepare for buying guns by getting a Bloody Mary served by a bartender who's working in front of an M4 Sherman tank. Even if you don't win your lot, I think you've that's, won the day. You're a winner. You know? You're a winner. Yeah. It's a, that's a good Sunday right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So as we start to wrap up here, if there's one piece of takeaway advice for getting into the collectible gun market or, or, you're already in and you're growing your collection. What's one piece of advice that you would give someone in the collectible world? Thankfully it doesn't come from me because I haven't been, you know, I'm still a, a novice collector myself. I pick up nice things when I can see them, but the, the older gentlemen who I've had the, the, the privilege to interview guys like Tom Lewis and, and, um, other collectors who, I don't know if they, maybe they don't want me to name names, Mr. Lewis has since passed. So uh, uh, he gave some really, really good advice on collecting and it's always buy the best thing you can afford mm -hmm. because there's, and that's condition wise, because there's always a market for the very, very, very top. Sure. And there's a market for the very, very, very bottom. People will clamor for those. When you get in the middle, it's a little harder, <laughs> but the very, there's a lot of middle, there's a lot of middle. Um, but the people who are looking for the very top, um, you can always, you can always, be happy that those are in your collection. Mm -hmm. um, the other one was to buy the accessories. Okay. Um, they say guns will come and go. You will see those guns again. Obviously there's some exceptions to that, but the guns you want will come and go. The accessories are harder to find and they get, they're more easily lost to time. You know, people value and treasure these guns. Like the gun is the big thing and they, oh, the accessories are just this thing on the side. No, that's what, that ties it to this history. It gives these right. items context in a, um, I don't know. I think it puts you closer to the people who held them in the first place, frankly. Sure. Um, is to buy those accessories. Oh, the number one tip for collectors, buy the book before you buy the gun. Yes. Yep. Buy the buy the $100 book before you buy the $1,000 gun. Yep. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because of the, the recent nice, like the publications that it will come out from, oh, of course, Head Stamp and, and Vicar's Guide and uh, even Captain Ball Nemes, he has a, a, a new book that came out, but you, you got to buy the book. You got to know yep. what you're buying. Um, That's right. Got to know its value before, or, or someone will tell you a value and uh, right. you, you may not wish to trust their valuation. So right. yeah, buy I, the book before you buy the gun. Absolutely. I always, I, I take it a step further. I tell people buy three books before you buy I the like gun. That. 
you know, uh, mainly just because I'm a book whore and my my bookshelves are are sagging, literally see. sagging under the weight. Um, but yeah, I always say buy buy three because even even three hundred dollar books uh, put you in a in a better position to buy that thousand dollar gun. Yeah. So so buy the book before you buy the gun. Buy the accessories and buy the highest quality condition wise that you can afford. Those are those are three great takeaway points. I, I really like all of those. Um, and then my final question to you, I ask this Ooh. to everyone. It's the most oh. hard hitting question of the interview. If you could meet any gun designer, living or dead, who would it be and why? I'm gonna go off just off the top of my head, like the first one that came that came to mind was uh Patterson. Yeah. Uh, Pedersen, mainly because I, one of the first guns that I collected, it's not glamorous, but it's the first gun I ever shot. And it's a Remington uh, 552 Speedmaster. Okay. And it's part of these Remington little sporting plinkers that, that came around. And uh, man, I love those guns. They're just, I always have a soft spot for them. And so when I think of Remington plinkers, I think of Pedersen and I think of like the Model 12s and uh, the 14s, the 141s. Uh, not to mention, of course, you know, the Pedersen rifle, the Pedersen sure. device, the Pedersen. When John Moses Browning calls you the greatest inventor he's ever known, that's uh, usually a pretty good sign. That's high praise. Um, yeah, it is. Now, not that um, Garand wouldn't be a fun one either with, you know, the rumors of like ice rinks in the house. And <laughs> you see the photos of them with like a pet deer. You're like, <laughs> that guy led a crazy life. I bet he'd be, we could have a beer with that guy. That would, right. that would be a hoot. So yeah, there's, there's a couple, but um, I think my soft spot for just the, the cross between military arms and sporting arms and John Pedersen kind of smashes them together. I'm like, oh, we could, we could talk or we could just go out and shoot some of his stuff and that would be fun too. Hey, there you go. I like it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking some time out of your day to come on the show. Uh, if folks are interested in finding out more about Rock Island, there will be a, a link to them in the, the show notes in the description. Um, Joel Colander, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, any, any last things you want people to know about uh, either collectibles or, or the company or yourself? Um, no, obviously just find us at rockislandauction.com. And just a note, like a lot of people say they can never afford to shop at Rock Island Auction Company, but I guarantee you, if you check out some of these auctions, you will find out that's anything but the case. There is, there are guns, uh, price for every collector, every level of collecting. They're, they sort of cater to all levels and, and take a good deal of pride in that. So um, obviously you might not be getting a, you know, a Colt Walker is not for every budget, but there's, there's pretty sweet collectible firearms, things that are fascinating, have some good history to them at, at any level of collecting. Awesome. That's great advice. All right. Once again, Joel Colander with the Rock Island Auction Company. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day, Joel. Thanks for having us on, Have a good one. Thanks. Thanks for being here on another episode of the High Caliber History Podcast. Appreciate you being here, and I'd appreciate you sharing this with someone who you think might enjoy it as well. Stay tuned for next week's episode. Once again, it's one you won't want to miss.